This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, and welcome to Played in Full, where it's three of us today. No CJ, he's back in Brum, so it's the three amigos. I'm your host, Ross Taylor, and I'm joined by Scully and by Jude. Guys, how are we? Yo. Good. Yo, I'm, yeah, I'm good. Well, uh, yeah, I'm good. No, we're going to get to why I'm not good. Well, I just watched the film, right? But we talk, we're going to talk about the film, so... I will oh, yeah. let us talk about the film first, and that will go into why I'm not good. But generally, in terms of life, I'm I'm good. So just general, just before we even get to that, just as a, a major spoiler alert, we won't say what film it is yet. But you're that angry. You're that upset with it. I'm not like angry. I'm just so disappointed. Like so disappointed. Like that was that was ass. <laughs> that was wow. ass. Like and do you know it is yeah. So give to give the listeners context, yeah. Um, this morning I went to the hospital. So I broke my arm in the summer. I still have to go to the hospital for checkups. Um, obviously I still have to work, and so I came back from the hospital, rushed around. I had um some work things to do. Like it was all good, but it was just like um, it was just I rushed everything to try and squeeze into this to squeeze this film into my day and i made it i watched the film and it was just like yo i could have got like way more work done (laughs) like i could have done something way more constructive in my life like like i could have i could have taken the long way home and not watched this yo that (laughs) meeting where i rushed them off the call like like i could have just stayed on the call I mean, shit was ass, bro. <laughs> it was so ass. It was so ass. I started shopping for coats like twenty five minutes from the end. I was just oh. like, "Yeah, I'm done here. I need a new winter jacket." Yeah, yeah, yeah man. <laughs> Incredible. Well, we're gonna get onto that in a little bit. Jude, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm I'm all right. I've been kind of back in the cinema, just like enjoying myself, trying to see all the films that I can. So recently I did have that um, double bill of, of like um, Bottoms and what was the other film? The Marvels. And what else? I did catch Five Nights at Freddy's and obviously we'll talk about this a bit later, but me and Scully caught Saltburn um, just yesterday actually. So yeah, that, it's been it's been pretty... It's been like an outside kind of thing for me recently, you know, in the last couple of weeks. I've just been back out at cinema. I feel like for a long time I've been um, watching a lot of these streaming shows, just like, yeah, waiting for bigger and better things to come out. We've had, like, a really good year. I'm not entirely sure what's coming out in, like, the rest of November and December at the moment. But, yeah, man, that's about it. 
How about you? What yeah. have you actually been watching? Because, yeah, I know we've been kind of... Yeah, everyone's been doing their own thing a bit recently, like, with work and stuff. So we haven't even really caught up. No. I, I mean, and it should be said that I was meant to be in London yesterday with work. Yeah. So it was meant to be all three of us going for Saltburn. And then literally last thing on Monday morning, everything got cancelled, all the travel, all the meetings. And it's like, great, well, I'm not coming out. So I'm going to have to wait for that to come out on Friday before I get a chance to go along and see it. But I, I did the same as you. I did a double uh, kind of bill over the weekend. So I saw Dream Scenario, which is the new Nick Cage movie with A24, which is... Mm. In the kind of upper echelon of Cage movies, it's the ones where he's actually doing quite a good job. His performance is funny. He's doing really well. And it's a, a nice film around that. It's where he kind of just pops up in everyone's dreams. And for whatever reason, they can't stop dreaming about him. And then he just becomes this kind of overnight celebrity. So it's about fame, the consequences that come with it, you know, what happens when that sours and all that kind of thing. And that's good. You know, I really enjoyed it at the time. Really funny. I think mm. once you kind of walk away from it, yeah, it's probably a bit more slight and kind of forgettable. It starts to drift a little bit, but then that whole kind of concept of dreaming, maybe it's the point, but that's out now. So, you know, if you've got a chance to see that, I'd recommend it. Um, and then I also yeah. followed that up with Anatomy of a Fall. Oh, uh, yeah, that's the other film bigger, I wanted to see. Yeah. I really, I really <laughs> just things. even kind of scanned over like the few films that I watched. I feel like there's a lot to say about Bottoms, and um, Bottoms and the Marvels in, like, two different sides of the spectrum of, like, um, judging films. But um, at the same time, I did get to see Five Nights at Freddy's, which wasn't so wasn't so great. But Anatomy of a Fool, I really wanted to see. So Anatomy what is that even fool, about? Yes. Is it a subtitled film? It's um partly. So it, yeah. so it won the Palm d'Or earlier this year in Cannes, um, and it's Justine Triette. And it's it's about it's it starts out almost like a it's sort of like a murder mystery um, and kind of like this kind of like crime drama, and it's about uh, a writer and her family who live out kind of basically in the Alps and they're kind of living in, out in the mountains, and then the husband dies, and so kind of the kid finds the husband outside, and then that's how the film's set up, and then everything that kind of follows from there is courtroom drama, and it's basically you're trying to find out did she kill him. Was it an accident? Was it suicide? And, uh, you know, I won't say anything else from there, but it's really kind of this really put together, really well-made kind of initial, like, whodunit murder mystery, but that kind of becomes this sort of quite tense and suspenseful courtroom thriller. And it's all down to, like, performances and the way Triette kind of drip feeds that information to you. There's a lawyer in there that is, for want of a better term, just a cunt. Like, he is so, like, <laughs> annoying that I was just sat in there, like, in this half-empty screening, just fuming. Like, he's... You know when like, you get a character that you just... You actually hate? And yeah. if you came across that actor, you'd probably be like, you're a dickhead. I don't even want to see... Like, it's, that's how annoying he is. So, like, it's, it's really good. I think it's... You know, I want to see it again. And it will probably be kind of in my top ten at the end of the year, I reckon. Where it sits currently, probably more towards like the middle, but I think it probably gets a little bit higher. I think it's one of those ones that stays with you. So that's amazing. Think, you know, definitely go and see that. If yeah, no, definitely. I definitely will. Super good things about this film. Super good. Yeah, things. yeah. You just sold it to me. I'm looking forward to it. Well, what about Five Nights at Freddy's? Because like, I, I, it's obviously box office juggernaut. It's made an absolute shitload of money, but mm. the reviews have been pretty stinky. Yeah, you know what? I think 
I knew I knew what it was. It was just gonna be like one of these very hype. Yeah, a hype like horror, which, and you guys know I'm not really a fan of horror, so this is just like a very disjointed way of seeing it and like the genre. But yeah, it's just like based on the hype of the game. Funny enough, I actually know a lot about this this game and this kind of franchise because of a series of videos that I watched on Game Theory. I'm not sure if you guys have seen that um, channel on YouTube. It's one of my favourites. And um, I forgot his name. Really bad with names, but I always watch their, their videos. And some of their biggest videos are takes on Five Nights at Freddy's. And the lore behind it, the real references of, of real life because loads of scenarios in America in, in so many different states based in like um children's restaurants and stuff like fast food places like incidents have happened of like kidnappings like murders attacks and all sorts of things and yeah like the law the law of it itself has built up like such a a culture or um what could I say like it, it's kind of like a cult classic game in yeah. a sense, like very, very yeah. indie people. Yeah, it's not like one of your your most massive games, but if you go like on YouTube, you'll see so many streamers or YouTubers or others that, that have like playthroughs of the game and, and all of this. So yeah, like it, it speaks to what um, Ross was saying about like the, you know, the push behind it and everything. And yeah, you kind of do see that it play out in the film. And I feel like there was some good things about it, but at the same time, I it didn't. Re- it, it wasn't that pro- scary. It was. <laughs> yeah, it was just, that's yeah. what, and that's what I've heard. I think the, a lot of the kind of the pushback kind of came through the fact that you know I've not played Five Nights at Freddy's, but like I know there's a ton of the games now, and yeah. I know that kind of as they the games kind of scary. evolved over time. The games, yeah, are scary. And then, I mean, like, the, the games have that. always had pretty good reviews. But it's yeah. also the fact that like each time they release a new game, they add more lore and it gets more convoluted and they're trying to get that in the film. So you're trying to tell too much story, which kind of then cuts back on like the actual horror aspect. And I think it yeah. was PG-13. So I think it was, you know, like in the States at least for a younger audience as well. So that mm-hmm. kind of limits to what you can do and probably in terms of the horror. Um, and again, that's kind of, again, a lot of the criticism I've heard is that yeah, great. You got your attention to detail, but it's not scary, and therefore it's just not that interesting. It's a bit of you a snooze fest. Um, that's that's so interesting that you say that because you've even made me kind of you've basically like humanized the film <laughs> in a sense for me because in in watching it, yeah, like it was one big critique that it's not scary enough. It, it can't really portray all of that, but that's probably the mistake of like the the script itself and the story that they were trying to tell because if you take that away and maybe make it one situation or it could have been the film that led up to the game it could have been like a a pre-law type of of thing instead of you know i mean there's so many different ways of doing that but yeah the way that they went is to basically go off the format of the game and the story itself it um starts off with, with a guy he's like um 
the guy he needs a job. He takes the job as like a security guard, and um, he's got a younger sister. And his younger sister's always had like this ability where she could kind of like speak to ghosts or things beyond like this certain type of this realm or whatever. And it gets into a situation where he's working as security at the restaurant and he starts to go through the 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 things that happen with the, the robots. Like it's very it's very it, it just basically follows the format of the game. The game. There's no like proper story to it. There's not much I could really spoil. Especially, probably just the element of the like special powers. But yeah, that's that's kind of about it. And apart from a few hints to what actually happened with with some of the things in real life, yeah, there's not much to it. Yeah, it's just I think it's a error of the script kind of thing. Yeah, and it's it's one of those kind of interesting ones because it's one of like horror is always always kind of one of those genres that I'm interested in, and I just always kind of go back to it's something that's kind of I say easy to watch, but like mm-hmm. you can just dive in. You don't really need to worry too much about it. You can just either have it on the background or just you know what you're getting. So I think once it probably hits streaming, I'll probably give that one a go. Yeah, kind of see what it's all about. But yeah, I, I mean, it, I'm sure they'll re- you know get out all the inevitable sequels. Because it, yeah. it's just made so much money compared to like it's kind of box office, so it's it's destined for a for a franchise. I think. Yeah, I think I might go see it at some point. It's one of those that I'll probably just wander into the cinema after work alone if it's yeah. still on. I feel like it will be in the cinema a while. Do because I think yeah, you have a better opinion it's... of it than me. Because I've I've been kind of slate in it, but yeah, I just didn't. There's not much to it for mm. me. Mm. That's I'm interesting. Good. A movie that we won't be seeing, or will we, though, <laughs> oh, is man. Coyote versus Acme. <laughs> I hope we do, man. And do you know why I do? So, if you know me, it, it, like, from this part or outside of it, you know that I love cartoons. I'm a big cartoon person. And I'm not just talking about, like, anime or adult animation or anything like that. Like, I just love cartoons. That's always been something that I've been a fan of, that I want to talk about, and I get, like, invested in. And um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is essentially in my personal top five films ever, all made. I think it's so groundbreaking. I think everything about that film is insane. And this film was slated to be the unofficial sequel slash like passing of the torch of that. So I'm really excited for this film to come to pass, to be made a reality, to be out. And yeah, as you're about to say, Ross, um, Warner Brothers have cut the film. They've completely got rid of it because they want to use it as a tax write-off, well, <laughs> which is yeah. a crazy, crazy tax write-off. And this is, um, so this isn't the only time Warner Brothers have done this. Uh, first of all, let's preface this with fuck David Zaslav, because he just doesn't know what he's doing over at Warner Brothers, clearly. Drops the HBO branding from their streaming service which was basically everything that they had going for it. He then shelved Batgirl completely and took a tax write-off for that, which caused this massive kind of shitstorm. It was even, was it early this year or kind of like late last year? And it was very early this year. Yeah. And essentially this is the same process. They don't want to put it out. So they're taking a tax write-off, basically meaning that it will never see the light of day, but they get 30 million back. But 
because this is the second time that it's happened and Warner Brothers is getting quite quickly a very bad reputation with filmmakers, filmmakers have come in and said, cancel our meetings with Warner Brothers. So they've had to yeah. do a big U-turn on kind of their decision to do this because they said, not only are we going to shelve it, not only are we just going to take the tax cut, but you're not allowed to ship it out to anyone else. We're not going to sell it. It's just going to go in the vault. But ever since these kind of other filmmakers said, cancel all the meetings with Warner Brothers because who knows, our film might end up destined for their vault. Suddenly they've had to kind of slow down, pump the brakes and just say, right, okay, the filmmakers are allowed to ship it out. So I think Amazon, Netflix, Apple are all currently in conversation viewing the film in talks to buy it and distribute it later on, which again, in its own kind of self kind of a, you know, in its own right is a complete fuck up for Warner brothers because it's Looney Tunes and Looney Tunes has from basically the entirety of history been associated with Warner brothers, the cartoons Mm -hmm. back in the day when you're a kid, you've got Mm -hmm. Porky pig, you've got bugs. They're all jumping out of the WB sign and that's now not going to happen. Well, they're going to come out of the Apple. They're going to come out of, the, the Netflix logo, however that's going to work. It's just really weird that they would let one of their bigger IPs just go, regardless of if the film's good or not. Um, and one of the and one of the most important, by the way. Well, yeah, sorry one, to uh, cut well, you off, but like, literally. if you if you sell that film and you give the IP of the Warner Brothers cartoons away, like you are giving away franchising gold, like a gold man. Think how many cartoon characters that is Wiley Coyote and obviously. You got Speedy Gonzalez, you got Bugs Bunny, you've got so much Tasmanian yeah. Devil. Like all of these characters, and there's literally hundreds, could have their own film. Yeah. And it, you are it, just throwing that away. You just had Space Jam, like just l- last year, you, you know, the new legacy with LeBron James. And so, you know, it's not even like you've hidden this away for like decades. You've literally within the last couple of years released movies with these characters in it and now you're just saying no. And also it's got some big names in it. So John Cena is the biggest name kind of attached uh, as one of the kind of the human characters. And him alone, you probably think, especially in the States, would get you at least 30 million. Um, And you also had Will Four, amazing comedic character. Um, But the other big thing that's now happening is um, a congressman, or or a senator Mm -hmm. out in the US government has declared that Warner Brothers' behavior is anti-competitive and should be against the law and is calling for an investigation into Warner Brothers and kind of curb this behavior. So not only have they kind of had to pump the brakes to make sure that they don't lose filmmakers coming to their brand, they might actually kind of feel the uh, full weight of the law. Which I think, you know, I think I'm all for that. I think, you know, because at the end of the day, if you're then saying it's a tax write-off and then people have got to pay for it, but they get no benefit, it is anti-competitive. You shouldn't be able to do that, you know. That's the whole point. Back in the day, if it was crap or shit, you would either just say, no, there's no kind of benefit we get. It just goes into the vault. Or you release it straight to DVD, you release it straight to video. But that, that model has changed. So the option would be straight to streaming, but they don't want to do it. I feel like, yeah, and bear with me because this is off topic, slight tangent, but I love it when politicians are accidentally communist, especially when they're American <laughs> or, or like from the West. And Republican. Like, I think he's Republican. Yeah, yeah. Like, like being accidental, accidental communist is just so funny because I know he probably calls people dirty commies when he's not at work. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's wandered into, he's wandered into, uh, the office today and he said hey 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 
this corporation has an unfair hold on all of this IP, this intellectual property, and they're not sharing out or paying the workers correctly. We can't stand for it. We should make laws against that. <laughs> sorry, buddy. <laughs> hey, sorry, buddy. I don't know if you know, but there is a political ideology just for that. Um, nah, I hope this film comes out. I think, first of all, I love John Cena as a comedic actor. I, in fact, not even just a comedic actor. I think he might be the best actor from the school of WWE. And a lot of people yeah. may argue. Batista I don't fight. care. Yeah, Batista, no, Batista you know is what? there. He's fighting for it. He's fighting for it. No, but I think I've seen John I in agree. a few more. I and also, I would say, say I would have said Dwayne Johnson back in the day, but now he's just a corporate, just he's, asshole. He's, he's just. Also, he I've never thought he was good at acting. No, but he did. He used to do interesting stuff when he was like unafraid to kind of you know try something new and actually yeah. try mm-hmm. and act. And now, because he just. It, he literally does the same thing because he's got this corporate image that he now can't kind of damage at all. He has to protect. And that's why when Fast and Furious comes around, him and Vin Diesel sat right in contract saying, I'm going to punch you six times in this scene so I can punch you six times later in that scene. And they have to have he's equal a, number a, of strikes and, you know, results. He, it's just like, grow up. He's the Tion Wayne. He's the Tion <laughs> Wayne of, um, of acting, Dwayne Johnson. Just the same formula. His best, his best two performances, I would say, are the Two Fairy and Scorpion King, which are on opposite <laughs> yeah. ends of the spectrum. But oh, no, nah, but you know, because in Two Fairy, he's actually like trying to be someone <laughs> like nice and very different. Like obviously, he's a fucking huge six foot Samoan, like mixed race Samoan, half black, half Samoan, and um, in the Two Fairy, he's trying to be like, oh, I'm a gentle giant, and like he's throwing away everything we knew of him from wwe and in the scorpion king like again he actually acts and isn't just dwayne johnson i feel like in every other thing i've seen he's just dwayne johnson like he's just dwayne johnson pretending to not be a wrestler if i was if i was dwayne johnson and someone said i think my favorite performance or where you're best was your starring turn in 2006's the tooth fairy (laughs) <laughs> I would I'd probably first of all I'd probably just punch you like I'd be so angry like I don't know that's crazy let it be let it be a um let it be a word of warning for him let it be a wake-up call you haven't been good since 06 it's 2023 like and that was actually I think his first year acting so you know you how have you managed to come out of the gates kind of all right and just steadily get worse for fifteen plus years? And if you're interested in Tooth Fairy Two, The Rock was replaced with Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> but, but you know what? Yeah, as a as a wrestling fan, like a yeah, you guys know this. Like, I was a deep heavy wrestling fan. Seeing like The Rock's transition from being like the best actor on on WWE or WWF them times to his acting trajectory, it felt like he solidified that character because he went into that body that bodybuilding phase and he got almost so big. And I feel like he maybe went into the went into it thinking he could be in a sense like a an Arnold Schwarzenegger type yeah. of of presence. Because yeah, like he went straight into into action, but yeah, like he did do those films like like Two Fairy and um, what was the other one? There was another one. 
It did South. It did Southland Tales, which is I think it's Southland Tales, which is a movie I've not seen, but it's meant to be like this sort of kind of like weird, kind of comedy drama, black comedy. I drama. think and yeah, that's always I quite. Think... That's like with Sean William Scott as well. Yeah, then he did loads. Then he did like Walking Tall. He did Welcome to the Jungle. Or the, well, there's another name for it. But I can't remember what it was, but yeah, yeah. He yeah, used no, to just be kind of like that sort of. He used to be more interesting. And mm-hmm. then, he, as you say, more he got varied. Big. And then, yeah, he he got to that. He got to that phase of, and also, I feel like with wrestling act wrestling actors, they all they always have that potential of being able to go back and do things, and still within those years, like he would like still come come back and maybe do a wrestling match and and stuff. But he even said himself like he had so many injuries. And even like his last WrestleMania performance, he had so many injuries that he couldn't couldn't really like sustain that kind of action or I don't know pressure with his body. So that's the actor he's become. Like he, most of the roles yeah. that he will be be getting will be this type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Even even with something like the TV show, um, was it Ballers? Ballers, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Ballers, no, he's all right like, in ballers. I got let me right. let me give him yeah, some credit. Brilliant. Let me give him some credit. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's sick in ballers, but yeah, I feel like because he's so big, it also looks like okay, cool. Yeah, you're like a management and stuff, but you're also you're some super bodybuilder agent type of guy. He just gives off that that presence, and maybe it's like I think again, it's an era of like the. The writers, maybe, but yeah, he also think, does what he I, wants. He's like you said, yeah. he's got his brand, didn't it? I think he's just he's too entrenched in his brand now. And like you hear him like last like earlier this week saying like people have told me I'd go very far in the presidential you know candidacy. It's, it's just like that was always uh, the game, man. It's, yeah, it's too calculated. I, mean. I think he'd be doing it. For he, time. He, yes, he, so he's, he refuses to budge from that. That's why he's got to be the hero. He's got to be like the just straight guy because he's yeah. just like you know. Oh, sorry. By the way, while we talk about Dwayne Johnson, yeah, um, I have to big up Pain and Gain from 2013, 10 years ago. He is great yeah. in that, but also because it is just, it stars him, Ati, Mackie, and Mark Wahlberg being bodybuilders who are addicted to steroids. Now, I'm not going to say anything that can get me sued for libel, but all I'm going to say is, why do you imagine that Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne Johnson, and Ati Mackie would be good at playing bodybuilders addicted to steroids? And that's all I got. <laughs> I hear it. Good but film, yeah. though. Very yeah, good film. That sounds like a good film. I'm definitely going to tap in, <laughs> and I might support that message. But speaking on um, speaking on wrestlers and movies, you know, one of the better trailers from the kind of the recent week, yes. and also like the first reviews have come out for The Iron Claw. A24's drama uh, on the Von Erich family, which if you're unfamiliar with the Von Erich family, we won't say too much, um, but it's not your feel-good cinema. Let's put it that way. Um, Reviews have been pretty stellar. It looks incredible. It also looks like it's going to crush and emotionally destroy every grown man and dad that goes to see it. Uh, But Jude, I know that you're very hyped for this. Listen, um, yeah, um, my knees tapping up and down, but literally, I think it's it's got an amazing cast. Um, Zac Efron, uh, what's his name? The guy from Bear, 
you got you got Harris Dickinson um, from Scrapper, and then it's Jeremy Allen White from oh, the Bears. Yes. And then also it's like it's like the the patriarch, the dad is. Wait, um, the guy from Scrapper's in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's one of the brothers. And you got, I didn't even notice. I was so hyped for Jeremy Allen White and the Zach Efron resurgence. <laughs> Yeah. And you've got you've got Holt McAnally, who's um he's like one of the detectives in Mindhunter uh, on Netflix, you know, Finch's uh, TV show. He's been Harris like Dickens is my goat. Sorry. <laughs> that's my goat though. That's my goat. Scrap I'm trying to go sadness, that's my goat. Sorry, I got really excited. Harris, if you're listening, come on. Come on to the show. Bro, I need him on the pod, man. I'm so... I'm even three times more excited now he's in the film. And, like, and also, I like Jeremy also, Allen White and Zach, they but got, come on, man. They got Maxwell... Yeah, Maxwell Jacob Freeman. He's actually um, a wrestler. Like, he's MJ, a yeah. producer. Yeah, he's the, he's the guy. And Chavo that, Guerrero, uh, Eddie's uh, brother, he's playing the Iron Sheik in it. And he also did, I think, a lot of the choreography and a lot of the training for the actual wrestling scenes as well. So there's literally so much talent behind it and in it that you think, yeah, it looks yeah. incredible. Obviously, A24 currently on just a massive streak of mostly hits. I don't think rest in peace to Eddie Guerrero as well. Like, was the, the, yeah, RIP. Yeah, for real. His passing just two days ago as well. So yeah, yeah. like amazing. It looks it looks incredible, man. Even from yeah. like the the scenes and. I, I always say this to you, to you guys, and I think I've mentioned this on the the pod before. But now, like these days, I don't I don't watch wrestling, but I pay attention to wrestling culture. So all of these things from like behind the scenes, I've got to learn over the years, like the meaning of getting over, like a wrestler from a wrestler who has a legacy, like passing on the torch to another, like through matches and performance and teachings and guidance and like the different lifestyles and characters behind like the wrestling scenes and so mm -hmm. i feel like this will also be a great film to trigger that trigger interest in wrestling again like the the culture yeah, behind it even though yeah mm -hmm. today is different and stuff but the power of it i feel like would still be shown even though it looks like it's got a, a dark story. And as you said, if you know the story of the family, then you know what it is. But yeah, yeah if you, if you know, you know. <laughs> if you don't, go out and see it. Like you're going to be, you, you're not going to come out the same way. Let's put it that way. Um, but that's not out till February. So we just gonna have to be patient for that one, I guess. Patience, I mean, patience, although, patience. you know, Keep an eye out on your picture houses, your cousins. They tend to do kind of early screenings and like previews. So I'm hoping that that will come out earlier, sooner than rather than later. And also things like Showcase and Odeon and again, Picture House, they tend to do like your secret screenings and they tend yeah. to get stuff quite in advance. So they had like Anatomy of the Fall a few weeks earlier. So same thing See? with like the holdovers. I'm hoping that they might get some of that in. Um, yeah. But everything's linking quite nicely today. Mm -hmm. And while we're talking about the Iron Claw, as I said, Holt uh, McAnally is the uh, patriarch. He, he's going to play the father of the Von Erich family. Uh, and as I say, he's one of the stars of David Fincher's Mindhunter on Netflix. And I think this is a nice segue into our first proper review and breakdown of the day. Scully's given us a little bit of a preview of how happy this film made him. And it is <laughs> The Killer, which is David Fincher's latest thriller 
released on Netflix last week. It's been in cinemas for a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, Scully, you know, why don't you quickly give us a breakdown of the film and then your thoughts? Because as I say, you were clearly chuffed with it. Uh, the killer follows a um, middle. Yeah. It opens. It, well, yeah, I was gonna say how do I say this without saying the obvious? It follows a middle-aged <laughs> man. It opens with rather who is narrating a day in the life, and then it begins a day or at least a week in his life as he trails potential targets as a killer. And we don't know much about him except that he's patient, methodical. He takes his job quite seriously and he is a huge fan of the Smiths. Like he's obsessed with the Smiths. In fact, I feel like probably 80% of the film soundtrack is the Smiths, if not a hundred. Um, and where else does it go, man? Like he's a killer. He, like the first 30 minutes, he doesn't kill anyone. In fact, I feel like he doesn't kill anyone for like 50 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's, he's an assassin, um, as per his LinkedIn, and I yeah. think that's about it. He's not and, um, the best, let's put it that way. I would say, okay, yeah, so something goes wrong. There's a botched job. Uh, somebody tries to take revenge on him, and then he tries to take revenge on those who try to take revenge on him. It's not that dissimilar from The Accountant with Ben Stiller, or even you could argue The Equalizer just before he retires, that realm of type film it's a it's a very like like i don't want to say played out but it's a very normal film concept right man mm. middle-aged fitter than your average is secretly contract killer and tries to take revenge on those who try to take him out the game for not doing his job which is killing people on on paper like as far as kind of like fincher films go it's one of the most straightforward, like at least in terms of plot summary, how it should kind of plan out. It's fairly unoriginal. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. I think the thing that clearly it has going for it, same with any sort of David Fincher movie is the fact that it's David Fincher behind the camera. So it looks clean. It, you know, it looks great. There's lots of kind of style. There are nice flourishes in kind of telling this story. Um, And, you know, there's at least more kind of, intelligence behind what he's trying to do than if it's just like your generic like something like the accountant which the accountant was fine ben affleck by the way it would have been slightly different mm-hmm. with ben stiller oh sorry uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it would be much better with ben stiller i mean actually to be fair that would have been a great movie um i love by the way sorry for the other tangent but i love comedic actors playing serious roles it tends to actually go off better because comedy is really hard to get right so if you can master comedy films, I feel like you're then suddenly really good at doing other roles. But yeah, shout out to Brian Cranston, the king. Yeah. Shout outs to um, Jason Bateman, my yeah. my comedy comedic actor turned serious goat. But you know, yeah, I think looking back at the killer, I think I think all of us who can, Jude, I know you've not seen it yet, but I think all of us on the pod are sort of in agreement that it's really underwhelming. And it's actually quite a bit of a disappointment. Now, like incredibly underwhelming. I wouldn't go as far to say that it's bad. I think it's good. I think it's fine. But I, yeah, I, I certainly when I was watching it, I'd kind of turn to Antir on a couple of times, thinking like, "Huh, you know, I, I was expecting something else. Like I was expecting something better. I was expecting something more." And I think 
I think part of the problem, and in, in a little bit, CJ can't be with us today, but he's given us a nice review, which we can share with you. And um, part one of the things he, he kind of talks about is obviously like the assassin himself. And as we kind of alluded to, he's just not very good at his job. And I think the biggest kind of problem with the film is that it would be so much better if it was an all-out black comedy. Yes, yeah. like it doesn't feel play, intentionally yeah. funny. Like it wants to play, like, and people are saying like, oh, it's the best black comedy you'll see all year. It's like, no, no, no. Fincher has presented it, or at least the way it's kind of all strung together with the performance is played out like a, a thriller, but has those comedic elements to take the edge off. But in reality, it should be a black comedy that has slightly thrilling moments to kind of, you know, almost going to give you that shock. Because like, you know, as you say, the film opens with him depressed in a room for about 20 or 30 minutes, just talking about, you know, and I wrote a note actually, because I kind of wrote this, I think on part of my letterbox thing. It said, if you are unable to endure boredom, this work is not for you. And I was like, yeah, and so is this movie, man. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, for yeah. real. Like, because it's him just depressed. It's like, you know, you've got to wait around. You have to eat McDonald's because it's cheap and it's good protein. And it's just him being just miserable. And then finally, he comes to do the hit and he fucks it up and he kills the wrong person. And then it's all the fallout from there. Also, by the way, him killing the wrong person was annoying because it was so bait. I was looking at him, looked down the scope, and I was thinking, bro, you haven't got a clear shot. I'm not a professional sniper. I'm watching this on my TV through Netflix, (laughs) and I can see that you haven't got a clear shot. Are you fucking stupid? Oh, can I just say, it's so funny how you guys are so bothered by, like, the direction of this film. You're just just speaking out on it. No. Yeah, it's like it's, <laughs> no, it's crazy. Like it's and because like you know, like yeah, you get that initial fuck up, and then like, but it's also it, the whole thing is basically told through narration. Michael Fassbender's yeah. narration. So his character doesn't say much, but it's always it's stuff like stick to the plan. You can't deviate from the plan. You can't show empathy. You can't. You know, you must operate within like the limits of what you know. You know, don't go off on a tangent. All this kind of stuff. So, and then. It's it's played seriously. So with the Fassbender and his character and the way the film approaches other characters and the, the fallout, it's kind of handled with self-seriousness that when you then get moments which should be funny, it's not because it's it's too serious. So like there's a bit later on, for example, where he's then got to try and find out some information from someone else. But this guy's got a massive pit bull. So what does he do? He buys a load of meat and puts loads of sleeping pills in it. And he's just like, oh, the average pit bull weighs, you know, 60 pounds, which would take this much sleeping kind of tablets to knock it out. And then he's up close to the dog and was like, but this dog looks a lot bigger than 60 pounds. And if it was handled like properly as a black comedy, you might think, okay, maybe he shoves more pills in and he kills the dog by mistake. Or the dog is nowhere near asleep and then Mm -hmm. his plans failed. But every time it does something that's meant to be slightly funny, it then just kind of rectifies itself straight away. There's another scene where he's interrogating uh, an associate and he's just like, right, this guy is this age, he weighs this much. And then he- Non-smoker. And then, yeah, non-smoker. And he punches like three nails into his chest, to, like into his lungs. And he's like, this guy should last 10 minutes. And then he dies instantly. And you think, yeah. that's funny. But then the fallout from that is then his PA is like, well, I can help you get what you want. And then she helps him out and then he brutally kills her. It's like, 
that's not funny. <laughs> like there's like, like so it never really got no, funny. Like it was no. always teetering on the edge of I can make this funny, and if it did yeah. make itself funny, it would have been all right. But it never it, actually commits it to up, being funny. It sets up all of these punchlines, which if it was handled with a better comedic hand, it would be great. It would be it would be excellent. And then you could say this guy is shit at his job, but that is the point, and he keeps getting away with it. So he's the worst assassin you've ever seen and he thinks he's the best and he's going through this monologue of self-seriousness but everything <laughs> is happening by chance. But that's not yeah. how it works. It's he's shit at his job but then he's also competent enough to do it. And so it's just... it's yeah. in the Like he's not super of, shit. No, He's like... Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't say he's super shit. The only time I think he's super shit, yeah. There's two times he's shit, yeah, in my eyes. The first kill, which, like I said, when he's sniping his original target, bro, you didn't have a clear shot. Why did you take that shot? Why would you wait for three weeks to shoot also, someone also, across the way? He is looking at this guy through his like scope for ages, and then he's yeah, got literally about, weeks. He's bro. got about, but then, but like, then he's also no, because he only shows up on that night. But on that night, oh yeah, yeah, he's he's got about what must be about a quarter of an hour of him just following around the apartment. It's like. Oh, but he's just gone behind a thin curtain here, so I shouldn't shoot now. Let me wait until he's hired a hooker and having and a she's lap dance. dancing in front of him. It's like, bro, like, like what time. in your head made you think that was the time? <laughs> like, and even when she started dancing, I think there's no way he's going to take this shot. When he actually took it, I was like, oh, this guy's an idiot. He redeemed himself a little bit later by doing various other killings and getting away with it. But that's the thing. He shouldn't redeem himself. It should... The film would be better if it was... I'm... If through my monologue, I'm going to present myself as the greatest assassin, and that's why everyone hires me, but secretly he's shit. He's like a Mr. Magoo. He's really bad, but everything... He's just lucky, and so everything just works out for him, and so everyone thinks he's the best, but ultimately he's shit. Sort of like a Fletch lives or kind of like, you know, like... um. You know these other kind of comedies of the past where you've got someone who's meant to be a super super spy and they're not very good, like an Austin Powers mm-hmm. or something, or a MacGruber like where he acts he like MacGyver, like but yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But it's uh, it's it's trying to have both sides of the coin, and then it kind of just doesn't satisfy as either an action thriller or like a, a black comedy. The it's only, just such a like, nothing film. No, it was it was really as I say it's. I'd still enjoyed it to it like enough to kind of be like, yeah, I would recommend someone watch it just to try it out. I do think that perhaps some of it would play better in a cinema. There are certain, there's really, there's only a couple of moments of pure action. And one of them is a big fight sequence, which on my TV looked terrible, looked weightless. It looks like pitch black. It just didn't kind of format very well from Netflix on the TV. And I thought in a cinema, I bet this looks probably quite good, but it does not work at all. Um, mm. And shout out to Tilda Swinton. She's got a great little scene in which she kind of tells this slightly kind of dirty joke. And that's the best bit of the film because that's where it's playing into the comedy and they're kind of letting those characters have a bit of life. Because that's the other thing. Fassbender's character is so like mundane and he's talking about how boring it is to do his job that he's just, he's not an interesting character. Like you can present someone as being boring, but do it interestingly. But it just doesn't do that. He's just by the end, you're just like, okay, yeah, that was that. He, he you know. I feel like it's so Emperor's New Clothes. Like I see so many people gassing it up here. When I watched it, so to give the listeners context, yeah, I was watching it. Yeah, 
on a on a date night vibe, yeah, with two women, yeah, with housemate as well, yeah, obviously, and we were watching it really slowly, yeah, like. Oh, can I add that context? No, I won't. You know, okay, basically, you see it's Friday night, yeah, and like, you know, you might partake in something to enjoy the week. It's been a long week. Sit down and just slow life down, yeah? Infer from that what you will, yeah? <laughs> We're like 20, 30 minutes in. Obviously, I'm like, the film's called Kill Us by David Fincher. They know David Fincher is. They're excited to watch it. Cool. Everyone's gassed. Once the 30 minutes have passed, yeah, and we're thinking, yo, this brother hasn't killed anyone. You know when you're embarrassed because you recommended the film and everyone's like, yeah, don't know about this one. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, know what? Yeah. I was like, That's I was fun. like, you know what? Let's get it off. But I was like, you know what? It could have just been because <laughs> I was not, you know, I was not, I didn't have all facilities about me on Friday night. I was like, let me watch this on my own this afternoon, obviously, like I said. So I put it on. And I'm just thinking, yo, this monologue is still slow and shit. <laughs> What's hilarious is the point that I took off the film on Friday, that was one minute before he attempted to kill someone anyway. But obviously, that's where the film kind of speeds up. But all, yeah, 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 yeah. It starts snowballing. And like, I was just watching it just completely. The best part for me is when he interrogates his colleague. That is... That is, yeah, or, that is, or maybe the Tilda yeah. Swinton is in it. That's Tilda, right. I like the Tilda Swinton scene because I think that's where the character ha- has actually some emotion and interest. Yeah. But the, the bit where he is interrogating his colleague is quite funny as well. I like, do it's, think again, it's, it's where it, it fucks up and it doesn't play into it enough and it's, it's sort of annoying. It's just like you've got something funny here. You're just cutting it short and trying to neatly package it all. And yeah, I don't get, I don't get the hype. But uh, you know, um... you know what I was gonna say. Sorry to cut you off, Ross, but like two things. One, you guys made this sound like really interesting in a way where you could see the good things about it and what it could have done to be like a really good good film. And yeah, that's that's definitely sad. I'll check it out. But two, you guys have made him sound like the shittest agent ever, and I feel like. The idea of an agent, especially when it comes to a film or a TV show, maybe less a TV show, because uh-huh. remember, um, I think it was a, the first couple of episodes we were talking about me watching Night Agent and me enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in yeah. Night Agent, it's not like he's he's not James Bond. He's not he's not like a prominent person, but at the same time, like the TV show, it gives you time to build a respect for the character. But if he, this guy is a killer, you're probably expecting the first scene he's he's going to have to kill someone. You know what I mean? Unless it's like a, a thriller and he's more like a, a murderer in society and not like a a contracted killer. Like, then it's, it's different. Yeah, but yeah. it sounds like he has no, as the youths would say, he has no aura. Or it's like no... a bullet train. Like, oh, he is aura devoid. But I think he's supposed <laughs> to be aura devoid. He's he's, I think he's he's obviously meant to be boring and it is meant to be boring. It's supposed to be cinematic, but like I don't know, maybe me, maybe me and Ross are missing the point. Obviously, the No Signal gang, Huda and Jojo, shouts to them. They like Huda watches a lot of cinema and we talk about it often. She's like, "Oh, you're gonna talk about this on the pod and stuff." And like, I saw her on Monday, and she was like, "Oh, did you watch the killer?" I was like, "Yeah, watch part of it." I thought it was ass. I only watched thirty minutes. 
And she basically said the same thing as you and CJ. She was like, yeah, nah. It's ass. <laughs> it's dry. Well, like. well, so, I've, I've got what CJ said here. Hang on. I told you, the film is ass, bro. My man is not good at his job. At all. <laughs> nice little succinct, succinct summary there. Um, yeah, man. I don't know. I just... That's, that's oh, let me read. Let me read Kojima's um, review yeah, he, of it. He, so he a lot of nice things about it. So I don't know. If well, his his review is hilarious because so he went on a double bill. He watched the killer and the marbles. Yeah, for the marbles. I, I'm going to start with. Like, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. no. Let, let me read it. Let me read it. Let me read it. Let me read it. I'm going to give you the killer's review first. Yeah. I watched Finch's new film, The Killer. Is it based on Lawrence Block's Killer Keller? I thought so, but that was a graphic novel. The OP, a collage of killing techniques, was surprisingly simple. And I thought, isn't that Mr. Kyle? At first, I was a bit disappointed, but I was drawn in from the very beginning of the film. I was emotionally involved with Fassbender, the nameless assassin without a name and without dialogue. The Smith's famous music played all over the place. As usual, Reznor's sound effects were superb. The film begins with a monologue about the wait for the assassination, the failure, the escape and the counterattack. The film moves from Paris to Dominica to North America, showcasing the assassin's know-how, lessons learned, and details. While maintaining tension, the ups and downs of the story are as dramatic as the classics that move from the opening to the closing chapters. This will be strong IP. Will it become a series? I wish I'd seen that in a movie theatre. Highly recommend. And for the Marvels, he said, saw the Marvels on IMAX 3D. (laughs) (laughs) i've not seen it and i know that we've said that maybe next week we can cover it as the topic but yeah i did did see it you describe your film like that you gotta pack it up you gotta pack it in you gotta gotta give up do you know what's mad i know i'm gonna go watch the marvels and i'm gonna be more engrossed than i was in the killer and i just want to know what i'm missing that the rest of the film world loves like what am i not see like i to disagree with you and cj i don't think he's the worst assassin he's clearly good at it because he routinely gets away with it in the film like and he has like all of these ways to get around and yeah, to get yeah, information yeah, yeah. information all this so i don't think he's necessarily bad at killing i just think the film in itself it's boring doesn't sh- yeah it's boring doesn't show me anything groundbreaking yeah doesn't emotionally invest me into Fastbender's character like Kojima no, said not it's not particularly drawing in I, like and Jude you're someone who knows me and you Ross you both know that I like a slow build up to a film okay. and like setting the scene and all of this there's yeah. slow build up and there's taking the piss like this was actually just yeah yeah man. no I agree um, but even then you know, I would say you like like you would appreciate slow build up where the story color like the story correlates from start to finish, you know, and it builds yeah. that slow build up includes interesting things. So even from the first moment, you're like, yeah, there's something here that is later going to develop into something, or you hope it develops into that. But I think if it starts off boring, it's going to be yeah, it's going to be boring. Yeah, I think it's you know, f- final thing before we kind of move on. But I think that is that is kind of nail on the head is it would have been more enjoyable 
and a better film if it played into you know these elements it introduces of yeah you know you're right he's not the worst assassin in the world obviously but he's fucking up constantly and it's if they lean into that more and just had it so that again that it's this self seriousness of this character and he's just a bumbling fool and he just happens to keep getting away with everything that's funny and i think that would have been at least from my point more entertaining maybe people mm-hmm. don't like it whatever you know it's david fincher he will always kind of get rapturous praise from people because just as i said the way he can kind of handle this just from a stylistic approach so you know i was just a little bit disappointed you know it's still fine i'd say if you've not seen it go out and see it if you can see it in a cinema probably try it that way just to see if it's kind of a better experience because i said because on the tv was not the best for me um, i feel like that fight scene was really well choreographed like they did so my favorite thing about fight scenes yeah funnily enough we mentioned the raid in passing today and the reason why i like the raid and films like that i'm a big kung fu film guy and my favorite thing about fight scenes even john wick the reason why i love it is when they incorporate the surroundings into the fight scene right so i feel like the fight scene was great because he incorporates so much of what's in and around an apartment the sofa Mm -hmm. jumping Mm -hmm. off the walls the tables bottles like that part was great but because of the way it was lighted and graded <laughs> you could barely see it yeah, like you're saying it, yeah it just and also just like a, it was almost just like it was like just the motion of it all just felt like it was almost like cgi as well like watching mm-hmm. it on a telly like because i guess it just could not handle that kind of like just what was going on and so it's like the compression through netflix so you know if it's it's out now uh on netflix it's probably still in the top 10 um so if you haven't seen it yeah, you know, give it a go. See yeah, what you think I'll, and let I'll us know. Yeah. I meant, I, I was supposed to, but yeah, it's just, it, there's not really that appeal for me. It, it doesn't, yeah. I think, and also, I guess, following that, the appeal is probably not too much higher either. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? This it, is actually one that I was sad I missed at BFI, you know? Yeah, same. I, I, I remember we both said in the group, we are both like kind of annoyed because I think mm-hmm. the reviews for it were just, really sitting nicely and yeah it, it didn't make sense that's one thing i was gonna say like at the london film festival there was a lot of films there that received so much praise that yeah, yeah. when i have seen them like it's not so much praise all they've been critiqued in ways and then when i have seen them it's like it's totally it's totally opposite yeah well that's Which, how it is so speaking of london film festival then as i say you guys went to the cinema last night. I was meant to join you, but plans had to change and I could not make it. But another film that is out on Friday, we're recording on Wednesday, 15th of November. So by the time this goes out, the film will be out uh, as of Friday, 17th. But this is Emerald Fennel's newest picture, Saltburn, which again had its UK premiere uh, at the London Film Festival back in October. Yep. So, For the listeners, Emerald Fennel is the showrunner of Killing Eve. And she also she's did also Midge in Barbie. Yeah, she's, yeah, she is. She's, she's Midge in Barbie. Um, yeah, I think, how did that happen? Was that one of those where, so Barbie was filmed in the UK, right? Was Saltburn and Barbie filmed in the same area? Or um, did they just not, lack? Did not, they just not really, lack? Not really sure, but Margot Robbie is an exec producer of Saltburn, so there might have been that kind of connection that way. And also, Emerald Fennel was Camilla in. Oh wait, 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 wait! Did you say Margot was the exec producer of Saltburn? Yes, makes sense because she's Australian, and Jacob Elordi is Australian. 
Yeah, but then uh, Fennel also was on on the crown as Camilla, um, Camilla mm-hmm. Parker Bowles. So uh, yeah, I don't really know how she got she's involved. Really yeah, she's really a multidisciplinary. Yeah, she's yeah. Barbie. Her last movie was Promising One Young Woman, who in the Oscars that year of kind of like COVID, she won Best Original Screenplay, I think it was. Um, but oh, it was a whole slew of nominations, which that's a film that I really liked at the time, but I've mm-hmm. not gone back to. And I know that there's quite a lot of criticism about that movie now, particularly from kind of female audiences and how it handles its topic. So I remember really enjoying it, but I haven't seen it since. And it might be one of those ones I go back What's to. What's sorry? Promising young woman. Promising young woman. Okay, yeah. Carrie, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I haven't seen it again. But yeah, so this is her latest kind of uh, film with Jacob Elordi, Barry Keoghan, uh, who's who is it? Rosamund Pike, uh, Richard E. Grant. Uh, is it Archie Madueki? He's in it as well. Who, um, uh, there's. I think Rosamund Pike is the most recognizable person in it. Yeah, besides Barry. yeah. Barry. Yeah. But oh, oh yeah, Jacob Elordi as well. Obviously yeah, yeah. the. But look, I, I don't really know anything apart from the trailers I've seen. And Richard Grant, actually. Yes, make it quite about. intriguing. Looks like potentially some sort of kind of like talented Mr. Ripley, someone who's kind of hanging out in a, a class bracket that perhaps he's not kind of used to and potentially the fallout from there. So for me and the listener, let us know kind of quickly what's it about kind of, you know, the general <laughs> gist of the story. Do you, do you want to tackle this one? Because I did the killer. Yeah. You know what? I feel like um, you did summarise it very well. It is very like uh, the talented Mr. Ripley-esque on the periphery of class type of film. But there's so many, there's so many elements like to it, in a sense. The word that I would describe it as is magnificent. Like the acting performances, the soundtrack, the the cinematography, all of it just weighs in like really heavy. And not to spoil the film, Barry Keoghan like plays like a a character who's essentially a, a genius and goes to study at Oxford and ends up meeting Jacob Elordi's character Felix and these two different sides of the spectrum. One's like a, a I haven't forgot like what his, his parents do, but he's of like the upper class. They just, they live in a castle, like, you know, butlers and servants and, and stuff like that. And yeah, they're just made of money. So their relationship like comes about through a situation where um, Felix's bike is just broken and they exchange bikes. A, a friendship like builds and so much like goes into, I don't know, just like building, building like the, the vibe of being around this character, Felix, and like the different kind of class interpretations of, of things going on. And then that's when uh, a few like events happen in um, what's his name like Oliver Quick. That's um, Barry Keoghan's like character, the main character's name, and um, Oliver is kind of having like personal t- turmoil within his family life, and ends up being invited to Saltburn, which is the castle's name. And yeah, the I feel like I could say 
that's when like the second act starts and the film really kicks into life. But even before mm-hmm. then, it has like such an attraction that you can see it's building up like a mysterious pattern. And I think the best film I could probably compare some of the parts with is um what is it? Oppenheimer-esque in a sense of breaking away from one conversation that's happening in the present and linking it back to the past. You know, like there's so many different it skips over like a few different timelines, but they're easily like kind of they're easily defined. And um yeah, I just thought it was like a, a fascinating a fascinating film. I would say like I could like estimate what was going to happen in like, the first five minutes of the film, but at the same time, it's more about like the the performances, the the dialogue, the visuals. Like it's just like a pure blend of filmmaking. I think there were some like um, holes me and Scully like picked at um, after the film, but um, yeah. I would it's just definitely say it's, a good film. It's a really good film, man. Like I was just like, like engaged. Like Ross is saying, go and still watch The Killer, regardless of our review. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> if you don't ever watch The Killer, <laughs> I don't give a toss. So, but however, I think everybody yes. has to watch it. Yes. Um, I, I would say. I would say. I would before, say sorry no, to cut on. you off, Scully, but yeah, I just think for Barry, this is like a this is that performance. I think he wanted that one kind of super weird performance that allows him to act his entire range and really display, like, everything that you can put on show. It showed, like, so many different sides of him, like the theatrical side, the dancing elements, the physique, like, everything. And, yeah, that's that's it. I think this is, like, he's going to be one of his, like, most talked-about performances until another one drops. Yeah, quickly, just quickly on Barry, like Kyogen then. So, is it a more, I'll say like a natural performance? So, is it like a more grounded performance? Because I kind of think like you know he's shot to fame quite quickly, but he's you know he a lot of his kind of more prominent roles. So, if you think things like Killing of a Sacred Deer, Banshees of Inisherin, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. even kind of like I guess the who should be the Joker in obviously kind of the Batman, Matt Reeves is the Batman. Um, mm-hmm. They're quite eccentric or very odd. No, characters this is this is still played. eccentric and an odd character. Okay, <laughs> this so is this yeah. is he is not deferred from type. He is <laughs> he's still Barry. So and, he's um, in his psycho bag. He, listen, he, this might be his most psycho character for a variety of reasons. Like, like it actually, Jenny. This guy, there's some things he does in the film that are Joker level crazy. Like, literally, like like that bathroom scene. Whoa. Joker level crazy. <laughs> what I would say, um, first of all, Jude is a faker. First of all, he, t- he talks about how much he don't like hours, then he jumps on and he's like, Yeah, I want to go see Five Night at Freddy's guy. Like, yeah, I liked it. Like wow, now he's like, Oh, I don't like comic of age shows. Then he's like, I don't like comic of age shows. He's like, Oh yeah, I want to see Soulburn guys. I really liked it, yeah. But, but that's not really put for me. Well, like, no, that, I'm joking, that, I'm joking. That, that's hilarious though. <laughs> I was ready to defend myself. But yeah, no, you're right, you're right. That's but true. um I would describe fact I would describe act one as a British coming of age film, naughty drama, very reminiscent of Skins and shows of the like. And I would almost 
and this is heavy praise and I don't want you to take it in the wrong way. I'm just using this comparison so you understand the film. I don't think it's quite as groundbreaking, but it's definitely as thought-provoking. You could say it is the white working class person's get out. Well, that's how it seems like it's going to start. Like the way it's like they're inviting him. That's act two. Like the way they invite him into Saltburn and he's around with this extreme wealth that he clearly is not used to. But And you don't know the family's motivations. You're starting to feel like, oh, this is feeling a bit gowish. Maybe I'm saying that as a working class black man who, if you invite me to a white person's house who has butlers and a castle and you have to wear a three-piece tux to dinner, I would be very scared. Like yep. it would just be overwhelming but it functions as a good it's a really good reflection of class so gal is probably one film i'd refer to as well as as alongside um alongside skins for act one and then act three without giving too much away i would say is like there's hints of american cycle there's hints of american cycle it's like a proper breakdown yeah yeah okay even a little bit fight clubbish like it there's like there's a lot going on in the film and it all those acts are very different, but they're all great. My biggest my biggest gripe with the film came in the final 20, 20 30 minutes. Like there's some things that happened that I thought were a bit unnecessary. And there's a climax in the film. And I feel like if it ended precisely five minutes after there, and you will know this when you see it, it would have been like I would have come out of there thinking, yo, this is potentially one of my favorite films of the year. But then it's almost like the film has a cool down. Like, you know, when you like go on a run or do yoga or something like that and they give you a little three minute cool down. It feels like the last 25 minutes of the film almost function like a cool down. <laughs> like it winds you down from this climax that happens and some other things happen and you just think, okay, I get why that is here. It didn't necessarily need to be, but yeah. I haven't got too many gripes. Like, I think it's really well written. I think Emerald has done an amazing thing. I think... We are getting to that stage where the noughties are far away enough that we can be nostalgic about them. Obviously, it's 20 years ago. So the noughties are about to... I genuinely believe in cinema, the noughties are about to become as influential in the art that we put out as the 80s were on the noughties. And it's going to be a very interesting period of time. The soundtrack, I thought, was incredible. There was definitely Block Party in there. I remember that really strongly. I think there was some like new rave tunes, like Klaxons or something. Like There was just a lot of... like noughties british indie music that i was like yo this this soundtrack is so good like there's so much stuff that i was singing along to there's even like the original champions league thing which is not the champions league thing but like the opera piece is like used within it like it's stuff that you would recognize from life there was like a hymn used at some point that i remembered from hearing the songs of praise when i was a kid like there's so much recognizable music it touches on so many great touchable cultural touch points um so i think she just did a great job in terms of writing casting every single actor within it i think is great richard grant it's so interesting to see richard grant at this stage in his life and the people that he portrays but he's he's very good at it it portrays and like the characters you see every character you see down to oliver and who you think oliver is cross-reference with with like like Jacob Elordi's character, I've forgotten his name, like Felix, and all of this stuff. Like, you know, all of these characters, like, you've seen all of these characters, and mm-hmm. 
yeah, it, I definitely think she was sensationalizing a part of her. Like, like Emerald Fennel went to Oxford, I believe. So I think she met people like this. And last night I said to Jude, I didn't think it was an absurdist film. So I came out saying, oh, the last 25 minutes were kind of absurdist, but I don't think it was an absurdist film. But in retrospect, now, after having like, it's 24 hours later, basically, I think knowing that Emerald went to Oxford, you could almost call it an absurdist film because you could say she probably accentuated elements of her life or people that she knew when she was in that class or in that school. Or da -da -da. And it's quite interesting because when she's writing it, I thought without um, any of this is spoiler for review, but yeah, I thought she was writing it. I thought she was Oliver, basically. But having done some research into her life since I've watched the film, I've deep that she was actually closer to Felix. Like Emerald Fennell's dad is a really famous jeweler, like one of the first English celebrity jewelers, like at least of the last like 50 years. Grew up in Fulham, went to Oxford. Like her parents are upsy. Like yeah, they're she's, really she's posh as fuck. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was watching it thinking, like, oh, you're probably writing this from the perspective of Oliver. And maybe you were a scholarship child and you went to a really posh school and you met people like this. And then I was like, oh shit, maybe you're writing this from a, please absolve me of my guilt. <laughs> like, I'm the posh person. Like, but yeah, it's good. Man. Just like I, you, I swear. <laughs> nah, it's a good film, man. I'm, I'm talking it up a lot, but I genuinely think people keep asking me what I think of it. And I can't tell you that it's amazing or that I super love it. But what I can tell you is that it made me feel yeah. yeah, Jude, I'm, I'm kind of interested because I know like earlier on you've alluded that you and Scully had this, like similar, I guess, kind of gripes where you kind of agreed that there were some not necessarily kind of plot holes, but there, there were just some things missing or kind of not quite mm. where they needed to be. And is that you know, a similar, is that kind of similar thing? You know what? That you kind of... I, I just think may, maybe plot holes are probably the wrong description. It's more like... Mm the direction in which they took the story, we just probably felt that that could have worked better or been more believable. But again, as Scully was saying in, in retrospect, if it's much more of an absurdist film, much more than we originally thought, because our discussion was like, I, I thought, yeah, like this has like a lot of, it just felt, it felt extreme in like so many different areas. Mm -hmm. It felt, it felt extreme. And I was thinking, yeah, I know this is Oxford, but at the same time, if these things are happening in this fashion, someone would eventually say something, no. But again, 2006, so context is a bit of a rawer, no, a much rawer time. Like we're talking 17 years ago. So many things and beliefs that we have now, much different then. So in that context, even the shock value, I kind of even, you naturally, you, you basically cut it in half. And you go into those films now, looking back in the past, like, yeah, these things were true of that time. But I didn't even know, like, Amel went to such a... went to Oxford. So considering that, yeah, I could definitely see, like, the moments in which she exaggerated so many different things and, and elements, because anything I say... Like, Scully, you, you'll get what I mean by this, and once you watch the film, you'll probably be able to understand what I mean. But 
the moments in which like the most shocking things happen, it was like there was no, as Eubank would say, there was no parliamentary process. You know what I mean? There was nothing, there was no steps to take to get to that kind of result. It was just like these things happen. And maybe that's left in, in the air because these people are like of such a class you can kind of just watch and you just think, okay, this is how life probably goes for them. Because again, like the normal person watching this, they're not going to be of that type of person. So everything Mm. for us is kind of like a bit of an insider's look and we're just thinking this is how they exist. But yeah, the context really flips once you know where filmmakers coming from. Yeah, man, it's just... Yeah, the flaws that I find with it aren't enough for me to call it a bad film or to even mark it down massively enough. It is 100%. definitely a flawed film, but it's also a great film. Yeah, like, like so great in so many ways. It's like it's like you know when you make like it's Saturday morning and you make your breakfast and maybe you know your eggs aren't quite runny enough and the to- toast is a little bit too burnt. You turn the thing up too much, but it's still just right. Like, it just hits the spot. That's what salt burn is for me, man. A little bit too salty, a little bit too bad, but it still went down the treat, man. I mean, you know, I'm looking forward to it. As I say, it's one of those ones where if timings were right, I would have tried to see it at Film Festival last month. But it's, um, it is out on Friday. Uh, sure. So by the time this goes out, it's already here. So I'll probably try and get to see that next Monday. I think I'm going to try and, and book it in for because I think there's a slightly earlier afternoon showing in Southampton here. So I'll try and get along to that. Amazing. But yeah, it sounds like out of the two films this week, we've got a bit of a clear winner. One that you should prioritize <laughs> if you're going to watch anything. And that is um, Killer. It's on Netflix now. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one other thing I just wanted to say because I know I just very like I skipped over the Marvels because we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next week I think but like yeah man that's what I can say. <laughs> <laughs> that, I tell you what that yeah. that review is uh, I think even better than Kojima's that says even more. <laughs> How did you find the Marvels? I would have watched it by next week. If we were talking, if we had like a spiritual realm, like when I said like that after the film, I feel like I would have stepped into it and seen Kojima, Kojima there. Like literally, I feel like yeah, we felt the same. There's a just like a, it's a (laughs) muted film. But like I said, that post credit scene, man. And that and and Scully pointed it out straight away. He said. It shouldn't. It shouldn't have to survive off that. And I was like, but yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> if the best thing will. about a film, if the best thing about the film is the yeah. fact that it's ending, Whoa. that is crazy. And also, that is it's, crazy. It's, it's, it's like mid credits, it's literally at the end is the best. Yeah, thing literally about the film. credits. Like it was the final thing before they turned the lights on. Oh, it was incredible. <laughs> Bro, like that is. Guy, even the guy at the bar was like, "Yeah, there's there's one extra credit scene, bro. Just one." And I was like, yeah, cool. So I went with, with Jordan, like our friend, yeah? And I was like, bro, he said there's one extra credit scene. He's like, no, no, let's wait. And I said, bro, <laughs> we're going to wait here for like 12 minutes and there's going to be another one. <laughs> but yeah, we waited and then we got the Marvel screen, man. 
and I, I just can't do it again. I need to know. They should they should just tell you. There's two extra credit scenes. Wait for them. Don't wait until the, the last second. Until the lights <laughs> turn on. That's so sad. And I'm 30. I'm 30. That's such a good excuse. Like, listen, I'm 30. I need to know exactly what's going to happen at oh. those credits. You know? Let me know now if I need to stay. <laughs> that's but, that's yeah. 15 so- more minutes of pressure on my knees. but anyway more on the marvels and not from hideo kojima next week uh i think we'll also hey kojima proper disappointing me with that tweet man (laughs) when i meet him i'm gonna ask him i'm like nah bro but what did you like about that film he's gonna expect me to ask him about all the games he's made all the things he featured i'll be like bro no but why did you say that about the killers (laughs) (laughs) but fantastic marvels next week I think there might be a little bit of conversation on Bottoms as well. And just a few other films to keep an eye out over the next week that are coming out. As I say, Saltburn, out on Friday. And uh, I'll give that a watch on Monday next week. I'm also going to go along to Napoleon, Ridley Scott's newest movie. Shout out Ridley Scott, man. Shout out Ridley Scott. That's my guy. No joke. Reviews have been very mixed so far. Either five stars or it's bad. So that means it's always going to be quite good. Or at least interesting. So it's going to be quite fun to see that. I'm going with my dad as well. Literally, it's one of the only times my dad has called me to say, can we go to the cinema? I would like to see Napoleon. So, okay. The last film he... I think the last film I saw with my dad in the cinema was the Hobbit trilogy before that Lord of the Rings trilogy. So the dads are going to be out in full force. They're ready for (laughs) Napoleon. Yeah, no. He's been going crazy, man. He's been going crazy. Yeah. I actually love his filmography. Yeah, he's always a bit hit and miss. So it's and also this is like a two and a half hour cut, and he's got like a four hour cut for Apple. He said so. Mm. Fuck knows how that's going to be. <laughs> uh, but before we go, back. what else are you watching? Anything else to recommend? Oh, before we sign you out? know what? I forgot to even say this earlier when you asked me that. How have I been? What I've been seeing and stuff. I've I've been in a Doctor Who rewatch, and maybe I've just been thinking about life so much through it that I even forgot I'm watching it. Because Doctor Who's always been a show for me that it prompts me to think. I love sci-fi. I love like imagining different things and, you know, like the universe is massive and all of this thing. So it gives so many, it gives so many ideas. But the one thing I wanted to say is Christopher Eccleston's like season as the Doctor is so underrated. Like I feel no, like it Chris was. Chris Eccleston is great, man. It was great. It was, it was, it was sick. It he was, was sick. he's he's still number three for me. I think. Yeah. Number two, number two of Doctors. Yeah. Obviously yeah, I would, yeah, I would even number say one. number two as well. Yeah, it's David. Yeah, and then no, him. yeah. Because yeah. David 100%. came on a, on like a, a messy thing. It was like we forgot his. We forgot because he only really. It's because he stayed one. longer. Yeah, Eccleston, Eccleston was like, I'm not gonna do too much. Like, I don't want to be a franchise guy. Mm. But I feel like almost if he had, he would have been on. Diff- he would have been like the gold stuff. Yeah, man, it could have carried <laughs> him. It could have carried himself where oh, somewhere else. But, shout out Christopher Eccleston, man. But man, I hope you're bro, good wherever you are. And shout out to Harris Dickinson. I just I finished yeah. like the episode with the sure. Dalek. Yeah, it was like <laughs> like um. The episode with the Dalek, when um, the Doctor was like, oh, the, da- the Dalek was going to kill Rose, but it doesn't in the end, like, shoots away from her. 
but the doctor mm-hmm. thinks he's killed. And he was like, oh, she's 19 years old. And then I just remembered, like, in a previous episode, Rose was, he told Rose that he's, like, 900 years old. And then the Dalek was like, oh, I'm going to kill your one true love. And then he screams, no. And I was just thinking, like, oh. Are you saying Doctor Who's a nonce? Doctor Who's a nonce. <laughs> to be honest, though, if you live 900 years, everyone is a child to you. No, Unless they're over yeah, 150. That, that's very nice. Unless you're over 150. Every, yeah, but who lives more than 150 years? To be honest, he just shouldn't be attracted. Technically, he's into bestiality. And if you're if you're <laughs> into the doctor, you're into him as well. So he's you're into bestiality. I'm just saying, he's not human. I'm just saying. If you want to take it down that road. Oh, that's right, yeah, BBC. If you want us to review the new series so, of Doctor Who, so, so we're not going to because he's a bestiality-loving paedophile. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds oh, like the... Oh, wait. No, let me not. <laughs> That's it, let me know. I hear it. Oh, yeah. Well, on, on that, that bombshell, well, on that note, on yeah. that bombshell <laughs> I think there's yeah. nothing else to do apart from to end this off and just think about what we've said. Yeah. The doctor <laughs> needs to think about what he's done. And those that have done the doctor need to think about what they've also done. <laughs> Podcast Network.